Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 769. Let's see what's going on in the corkboard. The Nerdist Community Corkboard. You can email us, events at Nerdist.com. You can post on the comment thread of this podcast. You could go to the Nerdist subreddit anywhere and we'll pull stuff on and hopefully uh, we'll be able to mention your thing to help you get the word out for you. Uh, this is from Timothy Pizza. My friend and I all decided to get off our butts and start a podcast. Make a thing. Well done. We're a stand-up comic and electronic musician. We're from Oakland. Podcast is called Fuck Everything, Fuck You or F-E-F-Y. We're a couple weirdos who never really fit in. We interview people with comedic irreverence or for hilarious results. The name is intense. We assure you we're just here to make you laugh. Uh, so go to fuckeverythingfuckyou.com and give it a shot. Thanks, Sean and Tim of fuckeverythingfuckyou.com. This episode is David Spade. He's promoting his new memoir, Almost Interesting. It is available now wherever books are sold. That could be anywhere. That could be digitally. That could be in the real world. It could be both. You could get a copy digitally. You could get a copy to hold in your hand and be like, this is what a book feels like. Book? Am I saying that correctly? Uh, Dave's a good guy, and I've known him for a really long time, but never really sat down and chatted with him at, at great length. Usually, like, you have friends that you see at parties. Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. All right, take care. So uh, it's another reason why the podcast is good. I get to catch up with people that I always want to have a conversation with. This forces that to happen. And now here's the Nerds Podcast episode number 769 with Mr. David Spade. Kitty. Now entering Nerdist.com. Back in. She's putting the headphones on. She's checked back in. Oh. You know, sometimes this job is painful, Katie. You knew that when you signed up for this. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get all worked like up Tina in front of you. That's what I've been telling you. That's what I've been telling you. She's got a little Tina Fey. She does. Is it Tina Fey? A little bit. A little bit. You don't have to wear the headphones. Here, when she wears a hoodie. It's ridiculous. Why don't, why don't you use earbuds? Who likes wearing? <laughs> you just changed your world. Oh yeah, that's the oh. that's the cheaper solution. <laughs> Let's see, nineteen dollars oh, or three thousand dollars in temporary blindness. Headphones. Just get some earbuds. We're not we're not recording music. It doesn't have to. You don't have to worry about. 
two levels. Really ride the levels that hard. Yeah. David Spade. Yeah, I laugh loudy because I enjoy myself. I feel like Dave. I feel like the first time I met you. Going? Yep. Done. It's already happening. This This is happening. You walked in. Yeah. I need some powder. (laughs) (laughs) The movie. Final touches. I. You know I am powder. By the way, I was. I saw powder. And I feel this. I can't wait to see this kid get beat up every five seconds. <laughs> and then I got so sucked into it halfway. I'm like, he's in the locker. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to protect him. I'm so much like powder. I'm so fragile. It's so horrible. Uh, but I feel like the first time I met you was probably in the 1900s. Uh-huh. Probably in the 90s. He's not as old as me. Oh, man. It's mm. getting bad. Yeah. But you probably saw me when you were a child in a crib. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I met you when I was working at MTV, probably. Oh, okay. Yeah. What was it? Singled out? That's right. Oh, my God. I forget all about that. That's right. I mean, all the all the 90s stuff, is it feels like... Was it with Jenny that whole time? Oh, you did Jenny and Carmen. Carmen Electra. That's right. Yeah, Jenny left wow. to do her sitcom, and Carmen was there. And wow. Then... And then I was unemployed for a while after that. How long was that, though? The run was 95 to 98, which is actually pretty good for an MTV show. You do nine a day. (laughs) (laughs) We did did 65 episodes in, what was it, like uh, in uh, in just a handful of weeks. You know, we do like four a day. We do two... And then take a break for lunch, and then where do are you more. corralling fifty single men and women? By the way, you never run out of idiots. That's the, <laughs> that's the beauty of the Bachelor. It was like the Bachelor. Well, the best part about the, the best part about it was the first season of the show. No one knew what the show was, sure. so to get that many people to show up, even with audience coordinators, so they had a van. And they basically just sent our PAs to like a mall. And they're like, "Hey, we're doing a show. Get in the van." And some people were like, "Okay." Yeah. And people just like fucking got in the van. Oh, so that's how the bang bus works. That's, it that's works with the kids. early days. Get in the van. Okay. Bang bus. Bang bus always confounds me. Like, where is this chick? Miami. Oh, is it, it is. Miami? That's what it seems like. Yeah. I always wonder, do they prep them? Because th- no one can act this well. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, it's, it's, I'm sure. I just assumed are everything in porn is staged. Uh, I don't know that some I are real. I feel like real. I assumed everything in porn is staged. Because that, cause there'd have to be a certain point where, let's just say it wasn't staged, and you met some random person, you roll them, and you're like, hey, get in the van. And they're like, okay. And they're like, can we fuck you for $100? And they're like, sure. At a certain point, that person would have to sign a release. Like, I just feel I like guess, they would. Yeah, I don't. Well, they have to prove they're 18. They're going to need to hand over their license. Now, it doesn't take it out for me because I get really turned on by paperwork and business practices. When I'm whacking off, paperwork slows things down in my head. I got to bet she signed so many forms. The longer the name of that form is, the harder I get. Four copies. I'm like, oh. Ooh, it's a 1043EZ. She got it in a PDF form. On the back of one of those. You know, van seats are signing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I gotta get back to Sunglass Hut. Your bare ass is basically like a fingerprint. Yeah. So it's just like everything, the whole van seat is a capacitive something surface. Something about it works, though, for me. Yeah. The, <laughs> the bang, but something magical. All the, you know, separately a van and all doesn't work for me. When it all comes together, <laughs> I go, something about the bang. Separately, I think I'm bothered that it's not an actual bus. I think I, I'm just I'm, I'm. It's a bang van. It yeah. is more of a bang yeah. van. Yeah, yeah. bang um, bus is catchier. 
<laughs> the alliteration. Yeah. It is. I mean, you could call it a vag van and run oh, around like that. There's some alliteration well, there. The, now you're the now you're the plow king to their yeah. uh, Mr. Mr. Plow. plow yeah. So you need to go. Is his name Mr. Plow? No. <laughs> I don't know that much. It should be. That's a Simpsons reference, but yeah, yeah I guess that, that oh. totally would have worked for Mr. Shit. Plow. <laughs> call Mr. Plow. That's my name. That name again is Mr. King plow. Comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Plow king. Uh, but. When I first went to, I, I went to UCLA, uh, 89 to 93, oh. and I was in the UCLA Comedy Club at UCLA, Okay. and when the president of the UCLA Comedy Club left, he handed me his notebook and said, this is all the comedians' numbers who we can call to come perform in the dorms. Oh, wow. You were one of those people. Oh, great. Did you, I do it? You did. Well, oh. you, yeah, you did. You did. You oh, did it fun. for... You you did it for him like it was like a year before it was right before you booked SNL I think oh so it was like doing a college gig it was like doing a college gig it. yeah but it wasn't a lot of money I mean it was maybe no. just a couple hundred bones yeah you know I did a lot of college gigs when I started SNL uh, before I tried to get on NACA do you remember what this I, was? oh NACA was NACA is like a like that's like a windfall <laughs> isn't it still going strong like, it's it's amazing and people are like, I'm in twenty five hundred nine I'm like for one show. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I go, and he goes, and, I, and they book 30. I go, what? 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 I couldn't. I'm going, I'm getting 400 drive up to. So I, I tried to get NACA, could not get a little VHS and did not work. And then I started doing these colleges. And one I remember is when I got on Saturday Night Live, oh, a couple people remember. Thank you. Uh, I, I thought I heard applause. I didn't hear anything. I guess. My imagination, yeah. Uh, so I was just so watching Bang Bus. I was new and I was probably a middle act, but they want you to headline, you know, because now you're known. So we got Adam and uh, Rob. We were all the stand-ups, so we got Dana was making a killing. Dana Carvey for the younger viewers. Oh my god, of course David he was. Spade is talking for the younger viewers. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever he is, and uh, uh, so this was I did. I think it was called Sacred Heart University. And, you know, you, you do stand-up or you don't? Yeah. St- you do st- Most so when you do stand-up, you, you're, you're told for the audience to do whatever time. Like an opener does this much, middle does 25 to 30. Headliner usually does 45 to an hour. Is that fair in a club? Mm-hmm. Now, some guys love to go long. I do not. I would rather go shorter because I know I have a huge ego, but I just do not like to sit there and bore them forever. I like to, <laughs> right. I like to keep it. Sort of where the jokes are still good, you know, because the longer you do, the <laughs> less chance they're all winners. Right. But some guys you cannot get off. So I was doing some college gig and they go 45 to an hour. And I go, great. And it was a couple grand. It was a huge gig for me. So I took a car all the way out there. I do it. And I'm, I'm clanking so horribly. And I had my little set list. That I buzzed through the whole act in 43 minutes. And this has never happened. I'm like, I did everything end to end to end. Usually about an hour, but with no laughs and pure crickets. It was, <laughs> I was like going, hey, hey, hey. And then I remember people go, mess with the crowd. I'm like, where do you go to school? They're like, here. I'm like, okay. That's, <laughs> there I talked to the crowd. That didn't burn as much time as I thought. And then I had 43 and then they had to pay me my you know, four grand or something, and they brought me in and said, you didn't do your time. <gasps> You're supposed to do 45. And they didn't pay me. <gasps> and I went home and cried to my manager. I mean, I was wrong in a way, but the thing is they can't not pay you because you're not funny, which what they wanted to do. Right. So they found a little hook there. Two minutes. Yeah. And I think I got half the money, but 
wherever it was, it was very humiliating. Oh, my God. Well, colleges – so I remember when I first started doing colleges and I thought, well, this is going to be great. Kid, you know, I remember being in college. I loved to laugh. Yeah. And you go and you find out a lot of them, if they don't know, especially if they don't know who you are, they're um, they're kind of tight, and they're, there's a lot of things that if you say, they go ooh, yeah. like because you're a grown up saying yeah. things that they're not used and to. And you don't know how dirty you can be, and sometimes they tell you you got to tone it down. And Janine Garofalo and I, this is, these are, I, I have another book called Boring Stories, <laughs> and uh, this one's in it. Uh, that Janine and I, we did a naval base, and it was three thousand Navy cadets, and they said you cannot swear. And I think it was maybe even John Stewart maybe back then. So we all did our sets, and Janine was last. And you went to meet the general after, and he paid you. So <laughs> and he decided if you were getting paid, if you were good enough, whatever. Have you ever gotten a blowjob from <laughs> a superior officer? So no. Are you asking me? No, oh, I'm okay. just quoting a few good okay. men. Um, so I went, and then I did my crummy act, and then she went, and she said fuck accidentally, and they freaked out. And everyone stopped, and she was like, oh, fuck it. I'm not getting paid anyway now. <laughs> and then she killed because she didn't care. And that's what they want to hear anyway. Right. So everyone's laughing hysterically. And then afterwards, I went in. I'm like jealous that she killed. I'm like, well, you're not paying her, right? I'm trying to fan the flames. <laughs> Should I take her money? You, you go saddle up next yeah. to the general on his side yeah. of the desk, and you're, well, sorry, Janine. I follow the rules. John and I will split your money, but I hope you learn something. And so she, they still paid her, and I was like, and she got to kill. Well, they always tell you, like, whenever you go to, like, there are some universities that you go to, and they're usually, if, if, it's, a, if it's a religious university, they yeah. will say, like, you know, don't swear. I did. I did one when they were like, "Don't talk about the Catholic Church." But I went to Catholic school, and halfway through the set, it's really hard. It's hard to not address it because it's it's a thing that you all yes. have in common, and it feels like and it always works. Yes, and so I did, and it killed because that's what they wanted to hear. Did you get in trouble? For and I got and I got the stink eye oh, afterwards. Yeah. They were not. They were like, "You did exactly what we asked you." That's not corporate to do. gigs too for the audience. I wouldn't tell these stories, but it's sort of interesting to know that when you're a comic and you get these gigs, corporate gigs are true. I mean, most of the time it's clean, and it's especially nowadays because they're always about lawsuits. Because they had some comic and it was like, "Who eats pussy?" You know, it's right. like if it's very dirty, that's who they had once. Right. And every joke mm. is like f word meaning like. Right. Effing. And so when I would do it, you could throw in some fucks without them even noticing. If your act is not super rough, you know, right. you don't really hear it. But when it's really pointed and harsh, that's what they're scared of. So they, they give you all these warnings. And I don't even know if I've ever had a problem. They might have said, ah, there's a couple in there, but it was still fun. If everyone has a good time there, they're adults. They usually pay. Well, corporate gigs can be a little rough because you're basically going into their bubble. Mm hmm. And 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 they and they can be a little territorial. A lot of times, maybe they're drunk or they're. It, it's you just like win them over. Yeah, it's like going into someone's house and they don't know you, and you're like, "Hey, everyone, I know you don't know me, but pay attention to me." Right. When you start doing personal jokes, like they always want you, know, they go, "Hey, the VP uh, has three balls and beats his wife. Say something. It's funny. Say something." <laughs> 
Hey, you know, you know, Randy over there has a lot of combs on his desk. You know, so he's always with the combs. You I got have it. alopecia, and it's, it's usually and then, something that you're not. Supposed and then you to talk say. about Randy, and no one knows who he is, and you're like, "What am I doing?" Or oh, Randy's upset. Yeah, and, and Randy storms out. Yeah, it's, it's but it's, it's really yeah, rough. they always go on and do. You know, we do. And, and I went out with Sinbad once, and, and I was headlining. Why I don't know. And Sinbad was opening, and he went out and annihilated for a solid forty-five about their work. He was like pure corporate sales <laughs> comedian. He was like, now who's got, is it Q3 yet over here? All right. Now who's got the sales? And, and I'm like, what's he talking about? And then I get up and immediately just go, dogs are funny. And I go into my act and everyone's like, what? You don't know us. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Sinbad knows us. That's why it's hard sometimes to follow crowd work with your jokes because when you're not talking about them anymore, then yeah, sometimes they, they can they lose interest. Yeah. As soon as they're like, oh, it can be about us? When you stop doing that, they're like, oh, Yeah, they're waiting for you to go after him. <laughs> oh, my sweater? What is he going to say? <laughs> Dogs, what even are those? Yeah, and no, you don't, don't care don't... at all about them. You just stare ahead. What did you audition with SNL? Like, knowing that they were pulling on stand-ups at the time, what, is, what do you audition with when you're supposed to go in and do characters? I'm um, not good at characters, uh, as we found over the seasons. I, I, uh, <laughs> I got in by like a loophole. I mean, it was really Dennis Miller helped. I he was one of my favorite comics. I did the Young Comedian special on HBO, which used to be a pretty big deal, huge, huge deal. I talk about that in the book a little bit, I, just because I don't know. It's it was interesting to me that I tried to get on three years in a row, and back when it was three, four networks, maybe Fox just started, and then you've got. HBO, which is really the only game in town for cable, there wasn't A and E for the younger right. listeners. There wasn't <laughs> seventy-five channels or thousands. There wasn't Snapchat for the younger listeners. Yeah, there wasn't uh, cell phones for real. Yeah. <laughs> now, I I don't even I can't even remember that far back. But I I, I was there and uh, I did stand up and I finally got on that. I mean, I would lose out to like Richard Belzer. I'm like, I'm actually a young comedian. <laughs> Twenty-three. I'm from Arizona. I have long blonde white hair. I looked different, could not pull it through, and then Brad Gray was the producer, Brillstein Gray, and uh, Dennis Miller was the host. And that was when I barely got on. They had five. They picked the five, and I was six. Oh, my and God. I was, like, uh. crushed again. And then Dennis and Brad told him, you know what? Make it six, and everyone will do a shorter set. Oh, my God. So they awesome. let me jam wow. in. And then Warren Thomas, who was a comedian back then. Passed away. Yeah. Passed away. Yeah. And he did crowd work, and he... Did not prep that much, and he just started in the crowd. And just one night doesn't work as well. And they cut his time down, and they gave me my full set. So when it aired, I got a chunk out of it. And then uh, Schneider and I, off of that, got auditions for SNL with Tom Kenny. And we went to New York and did Catch Rising Star. Bombed again. I mean, it's just so crazy. <laughs> I bombed my way into SNL because Dennis goes, you know, spudly if you. If you kill too hard, it's a bit of a red flag for these guys. You know, they don't like some road hack. And I go, so don't do good? Like, I, I was right before I walked up. I go, wait, what do I do? I don't get laughs? <laughs> it didn't make any sense. He, but what he meant is they're looking at the writing of the jokes, which I can see now. But back then, I just was like, who did the best? You know, it was all that. Mm. So Tom Kenny did the best. And uh, Rob and I didn't do well at all. And You know, it's probably 25 people. there. It's one of those nights where it's just sort of like you're just talking right. to yourself. So you're basically telling your jokes as written. It's a, they're almost like reading them. Right. It's like here's a joke. You think that's I'm doing a live reading? Well of my put jokes together. Tonight. Yes, <laughs> it's a live reading. <laughs> and they were like, "Okay, we'll bring you on as writers and performers." And then, uh, but it was more on the writing tip. They didn't really want me to write myself in for the first 
two, three years. And and then Rob started to get on more. And then Farley, you know, Farley, Chris Rock, Sandler. I was like, what about Spade? <laughs> a little Spudley over here. Was it Hollywood Minute? Is that what broke you through? Uh, yeah. I did that receptionist and you are. I mean, I was in little bits and dribs and drabs and update bits, but nothing that was like catching too hard. And I was always on the brink of getting fired. They would always call. Lauren would call at the end of the season. I don't know about David. Is he really fit in here? Is he working? Mm. And so, mm, musings. Mm. Are you talking to me, sir? He's like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yeah. He gets louder. Oh, yeah, David. I don't know. <laughs> Hello, you're Dopplering. Yeah. I can't, <clears throat> can't hear you. Not getting you. But he would call Brad, and they would talk about it. And I, I just would come back and try to do it again. And I wasn't a super charactery guy. I wasn't super great writer for sketches and hooks and all that i was just doing like my jokes like i do now it's like attitude and stuff and it wasn't the place for it but ultimately i thought maybe i should do the news i was thinking maybe that would be good <laughs> that was my decision i didn't want to buy anybody <laughs> hey who's doing the news now i think you should leave i so i finally did a hollywood minute bob odenkirk you know remember him from uh you remember him from his new from show. Uh, yeah, it doesn't ring a bell. And was he, Bill writing on at that time too? Was Bill Odenkirk writing? No. no Bill never Bill never wrote for us? I don't no. think Bill so. Simpsons. Oh, Bill Simpsons. Yeah, 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 yeah. It yeah. was uh, Conan O'Brien <clears throat> and Smigel and Bob Odenkirk and Jack Handy, Jesus Downey. Christ. By the way, that's why, how do I get anything on? These guys are the best guys. Like, <laughs> it, it's unreal. And they all went off. Everyone's in Harvard. And, and, uh, and then Mike Myers is writing. Chris Rock writes his own stuff. Sandler. And Dana, and you go, okay, so I got to beat all them and then be better. I can't even be as good. So for the first year, it was just trying not to embarrass myself and read through. Like, just don't have people go, what the fuck is, who wrote mm-hmm. this? Look around. I go, because <laughs> no one's helping you. They want you to die. They, they, if you get on, they don't get on. So there's, that's what everyone talks about. There's that quiet, palpable, like, tension of, if you leave, we'll all be fine. Right. You know what I mean? The cast is getting fatter. Yeah. There was like, Six feature players and the cast members. But so. when you get on, though, that means you earned it. You oh. really earned it. Jeez, it's so tough. And I see Sandler pull his guitar case. I go, oh, fuck. Because <laughs> <laughs> every, every song, and I'm like, he can't have another catchy one that kills. And he's like, red hooded sweatshirt. I'm like, god damn it. <laughs> Singing it all week. And so stuck in my head. I go, oh, no, it's going to kill. So he was, they, these guys are all off and running. And I just, not feeling sorry for myself. I'm just saying the reality was I was. it took me just longer to catch up. Hollywood Minute really helped. Lauren sort of turned on me there and said, turned with me and said, you know what, why don't you do that again next week? I was like, oh, shit, yeah. And then two weeks later, Hollywood Minute, maybe. And I was like, <laughs> oh, sure. And then that helped me get in a few more sketches. And then by the end, I stayed a year too long, like a senior that goes to community college and comes back, you know, because Will Ferrell came in and, how long it was he was just coming there sherry o'terry they were all great but i just had a five lauren goes i'll just give you a five minute chunk you do whatever so i really didn't do sketches i just stayed and had one bit that hugh fink this writer i brought in and we just yeah i know you we wrote just bits every week like i do feel pieces which i figured out i hated it's so cringy to go out there hey everybody like i was like billy eichner you know it's like it's just not my thing i get so cringy i don't embarrass people and i feel stupid so but we wrote. That's when I got the tattoo from Sean Penn. I got a. Uh, I was just. I was scrambling every week. Even then, I had all week to think about one thing. I couldn't come up with 
Shit. It's, it is fucking hard. It's, it's really, hard. It's really hard because it's basically like a test. Yeah. And you don't know if it's going to work until you do it on live television in front of millions yes. of people. And you go, 20 years of SNL, how many sketches they wrote. You can't be like any of them, for starters. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing like anyone's doing this week. And then they always wanted it topical, like, why this week? And you go, oh. Like one time Farley was in this meeting. I put that in there. It's a dumb story in the book about Farley. You know, that you hear about that uh, pitch meeting on SNL. So we all cram into a not this much of a dump, you know, where we're doing this. <laughs> sure. but, oh, well, that's like, good. This is like Lauren's office, exactly. And this is probably a little longer. And every cast member and writer crams in. And then the host sits there, like Jim Downey's here, and you're Lauren. And you've got the most room. And then we're all jammed. <laughs> and over there. And so he just goes around. He just eats popcorn and goes, anything for Tom Hanks? You know, and then we all go, hey, I had a thing, a caveman afraid of caves. You know, it's like fake ideas because no one's thought of anything yet. But it, it makes the host feel like you're working, you know? And it could just be like a wispy idea, like, you know, dancers breathe really hard when they finish the number. They're like, <laughs> like they freeze. It's hard to say on the radio. But you could just say that to get a laugh, and you're never going to write it because it's only one joke. Right. But the host is like, oh, these guys are really thinking. These guys are real thinkers. <laughs> Meanwhile, who, we're all worried about Joe Pesci from last week. We just finished that show, and now we're like, Tom Hanks, fucking start from scratch again. And so I remember it was like Alec Baldwin sitting there, and then when you got to Farley, he was always so nervous because he's, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. And he's, he's got like boogers on a fucking napkin. He's scribbling. I go, is this your pitch? He goes, I don't know. And so he goes, I got one this week. I go, okay. So... Everyone's waiting and he's pulling on the shag carpet with his fingers and sweating and yanking on his hair. And I'm like, oh boy. Because he knew he had this big pitch. And he's like, anything for Alec, Chris? And then Chris goes, uh, 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 he's like having a heart attack. And he goes, hey, Alec Baldwin. He calls them both names like a psycho. <laughs> and he goes, hey, Alec Baldwin. Um, <laughs> I've got. I got. I, I was thinking uh, uh, this weekend. I saw that movie, you know, Marty. Uh, and Lauren goes with Ernest Borgnine. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, um, I was thinking, like, do something about that. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's just staring. And Lauren goes, <laughs> Lauren goes. Well, this is the week. <laughs> Everyone's gonna be looking for our Marty sketch. <laughs> it's like a movie from 1954 about he's like you know social activist. I'm like, what are you fucking talking? <laughs> we walked out and I go, you gave him that? Make up something, something from the last ten years, anything. Alec Baldwin's freaking out. He thinks they're writing a Marty sketch. <laughs> I go, by the way, who's writing the sketch? He goes, I don't fucking know. Because he would never write. Goes, you can have it if you want. I go, oh, let me run with it. Otherwise, <laughs> like, Alec Baldwin, Marty? He goes, I didn't work out all the details yet. <laughs> so that's what the, but the, they were so stressful. I was just giving shitty ideas to him. I'm like, oh. Just, you're just looking around the room, a brick wall bit. You know, you just like, don't know what to say. And Lauren's always like, mm. But your brain is so, you're going to be so fried. Uh, was there anybody who was like annoyingly good at those pitches? You know, Frank and Al Franken, who uh, I don't really. Senator Franken. Get along with, yeah. But he, uh, he, he would pitch pretty good, but he would laugh so hard at his own jokes. He thought they were funny. He'd go, <laughs> And everyone goes, fuck, that sounds like a four-star idea. <laughs> Wait, you pitched it, so maybe you're a little biased in your voting. But he would say it and laugh his fucking ass off, and everyone would go, okay. But 
It was hard. Yeah, Smigel always was pretty funny. Yeah. He was he was about the best home run hitter. And he was sort of quiet about it, but you just go, oh, I wish he'd write me something. Because whenever he locks into something, he's very good. And Jack Handy always had a weird idea. And you thought it was a fake idea, but he would write it. <laughs> and it would be very clever. And you'd be like, oh, like, remember he had Happy Fun Ball? Yes, Happy Fun oh, Ball. Yeah. Fun Do ball. not taunt hysterical. Happy Fun Ball. Do not taunt Happy Fun Ball. <laughs> it's being dropped on our troops in Iraq. <laughs> they had so many funny things on Happy Fun Ball. Sometimes the commercial parodies, I mean, we're all over the place here, but the commercial parodies were really fun to write. Bad Idea Jeans. I think that might have been Schneider's. Was a <laughs> oh, that was Schneider's? Great one. That was a great sketch. Oh, see. What was it? Uh, so I didn't wear a condom, and I thought, when am I going to be in Haiti again? That was mine. Yeah. Oh, that was that a was good, good joke. I was going to wear a con with him. When am I going to be in Haiti? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I didn't even get it. They had to explain to me. I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I go, they give me the dud? <laughs> the and then all these huge black guys come in. They go, hey, how about five on five? Oh, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Bad idea Bad jeans. Bad idea jeans. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, I was always trying to write commercial parodies. It was like a sneaky way backdoor in to get on the show or yeah. feel like you wrote something or were contributing somehow. Uh, I wrote Chia Head. That was the first one. Yeah, I remember Chia Head. And then how about they made a Chia Head? A real yeah, one. they did. Yeah, they still do, I think. Exactly stole everything I did. I made the box. I made everything. And they were like, thanks. Hey, good idea. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes commercial parodies are so close to real ones. They're funny. Well, also... They go to places that those companies were like, oh, we can't talk about that. But if you do it and it becomes popular, they're like, look, see, yeah. gonna, you're basically doing a sales pitch it for worked. them. Yeah. There was a lot of. Unfortunately, funny. the Woomba never became a thing. Do you remember the Woomba? Do you remember the Woomba? No, what's that? Was, oh, no. Wasn't Woomba like a. Like a it was a, I feel like it was a Tina Fey one where it was like yeah, a Roomba so for I. your vagina. And oh, it was like it would go down your pants. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> then there was another one in the 80s that was like. Uh, strate- the, it, was, it was invented by. It was, made, it was a birth control device made by NORAD called SAC, the Strategic Air Contraceptive. And there was this like radar screen, and you saw these sperms, and you saw this radar screen sweeping, and you saw the sperm slowly That's disappearing so as it fired smoke. Those make them so hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, uh, I think Jim Downey said the key to commercial parodies is usually a non existent problem, ineffective solution. So <laughs> 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 you always think that. Uh, was uh, was Hartman a guy who always was just locked in right away? Because there's some guy. There's there's usually one person on each season who is so they seem so unshakable. Yeah, like Farrell seemed he like was one of the those most guys. Solid Hartman on our of our guys. Kevin Nealon's a very even keeled guy that was always a solid writer. I always liked his stand up, but he did update then, so he was in sketches less. But Phil Hartman was for sure. The solid guy and tragically died after that. And um, by his uh, wife, I mean, yeah, if you I remember. remember that story. I rem- absolutely and, remember it. And, well, the two kids were home. I think he, he, she shot him and then she shot herself or something. Right. But Phil was such a great guy there. And it's, it's a little hard to talk about because Phil was one of those ones where he was so nice and so good and, and really talented to look up to. I mean, Farley was his own, you know, monster, but Phil was just so good at acting and he was a good writer too he wrote stuff and he was the one where you look at as the uh, most uh, they called him the glue because he was just always you plan him in any sketch so solid even the most subtle or he was playing a dad or something but he changed so much you could put him in anything and he was always killing it 
I like that. I remember one. <laughs> so stupid. I just, it's all memories. It's like the book. I'm just reading out loud. But this isn't in there. So. So it's an exclusive. So, like, don't buy it. Don't buy it. <laughs> what are you saying? Um, but, uh, <laughs> but Boy, I'd like to read that story. Uh, I can't yeah, get the book. Not, all the good ones aren't in there. I wish they were in print somewhere. But Kevin Nealon did one Waiters Without a Pad, which I thought was a fake idea. <laughs> fake idea again. Yeah. But uh, it was, I think, uh, Phil Hartman and Victoria Jackson, Jackson. on a date. And he was always so calm and cool. But Kevin goes, what can I get you guys? And he goes, uh, she'd like... Uh, Sort of the sea bass, well done. And, and he goes, okay, okay. And he goes, fella, do you want to write this down? And he goes, no, no, I got it all up here. You know, wait to do that. Because yeah. I always think about it in real life because they do it. And he goes, are you sure? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And he goes, I take a uh, gin and tonic. Yeah. And he goes, okay. He comes back, he goes, all right, cream de cassis for the lady and spaghetti and meatballs for you. He goes, no, no, sir. Hey, buddy, buddy, no, no. N- these are, none of these are ours. He goes, can you write this down? I'm just going to say it again. He goes, no, no, I got it. I got it. So he just kept bringing him the most ridiculous things. And then he goes, no, no, I ordered. He goes, don't tell me. And he goes, I ordered. He goes, that's, that's, that's a salmon. No, no, no. Let me just tell you something. He goes, no, no, let me guess. So, <laughs> waiter's without a pad. So now that's stuck in my head. So every time a waiter goes, just tell me. I go, no, no, just write it fucking down. Because I know you're going to fuck up. And then I don't do my whole order because I go, I'm guessing how many you can handle. So if I say light cheese on this and that, that's all I'm giving you because I know you'll fuck up one of these. If I give you all five uh-huh. weird things I want. Two will not just not be heard. So who who uh, with a different host coming in each week, and you know, obviously these people come in. They're very famous. There are egos to navigate. There are certain things. Was everyone pretty much? Did everyone pretty much come in a playful state of mind, or were there people like, "Don't talk about this," or "This is weird," or there? So, I mean, on oh, SNL, yeah, no, no one says anything. So you get there. and We got hired, and we did four shows at the end of a season. So picture like May shows or whatever, April May. So Rob and I come in, and have a crummy table like this. This is probably what we had. It was like just a wood desk, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't want to pop the bubble. Did you puff it up like this is a great show with like? And our spa- <laughs> you mean our space no, our palace? Listeners, <laughs> our listeners know our desk is made of no, wood. No, the show's great. I'm just saying it's a little dumpy in here. But so it was like <laughs> the, it was like this, and a yellow legal pad and a box of pens. And they go, "There's your office. Go." And I'm like, "What? What do we do?" Like. I don't know how to write a sketch, and I thought they'd be coaching me, like there'd be a montage, or, <laughs> you know, and therefore he's a jolly good fellow, like new cast member, and no one cared. They just they're so in their world to do their shit, especially mid season. Like they just walk in, hey, okay, go in their office, they start writing, they start freaking out, money meeting, and no one tells you about meetings. You just have to ask, hey, is there something today? Oh, well, there's a money meeting. I didn't get told about rewrite meetings, um, so I was just sort of floundering around, and I'm writing a sketch, twelve pages long. It's got 15 sets. <laughs> I hand Locations. It in and I go, we can't even. But it's the oldest. You had, you had to write it and hand it to the typist women, like on Mad Men or something, and they type you your sketch so it looks all perfect. But it's, they said, I'm just going to tell you, like, this is too many sets, and I don't know fucking anything. These are like the typists. <laughs> the typists are telling you how the to write your like, sketch. I don't, I'm on page six, and this is a fucking bomb, all right? Like, what are you thinking? And I probably shouldn't say anything. I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't say anything. And she's like, yeah, you're a horrible writer. And maybe I'm out of line. I'm like, yeah, you are. Is, it, <laughs> is there someplace we can get 200 monkeys? Can we get 200 <laughs> monkeys go, in here? But- La- okay, the elephant we don't need for sure. <laughs> but it was like that. So I, I go, oh, and then I talked to Lovitz. He was there. It was his final two shows. And he's like, too many sets. And I was like, thank you. Any feedback is appreciated. <laughs> So we just had to sort of figure our way out. Conan took a little time. Odenkirk, they would sort of go, okay, we'll give you a few minutes here and there. But they had to worry about their own shit. 
and then I came back, and that's when Rock and Farley and Sandler came on that year. So it, it, I started to have my own little buddies and stuff, but you really felt like an outsider for a while. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird, though. <laughs> my book's called Boo Hoo. I'm changing it. <laughs> it's called I'm Throwing This Mic in the Trash. Uh, the, the mic throw that was based on an emoticon I saw. You know the mic one where they go like, yeah, is it like that one? Yeah, it's funny. That's great. It's a book's almost interesting. It's called Almost Interesting, yeah. by the way, which is available everywhere you buy uh, somewhere. Books. somewhere. But, but watching, it, it, it's, I'm always interested to see who pops on the show and who doesn't, and who pops afterwards. Because Chris Rock, I don't feel like Chris Rock ever really popped when he was on SNL. It's kind of when he went away and yeah, did stand up for a couple of years, and he came back and made what is, I think. Probably one of the most definitive stand-up, Bring the sure, Pain, is sure. one of the most – because, you know, he <clears> – <throat> it seemed like he was trying to find his voice for a little bit. And he did some stuff that Nat X I always thought was a great sure. sketch. But it wasn't really it wasn't until – It was a perfect place for him. And I, I, I 100% agree. Coming in, known as a great stand-up, not quite – you know, he's got Al Franken. There couldn't be more diametrically opposite personalities. And, and Al was trying to put him in stuff right away and then sort of gave up on him. I mean, I, and not, 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 not fair to Al, but like – it just wasn't his total thing, you know. No acting classes, like none of us really had that. But he just – it wasn't his thing right then at that moment in time. And he was getting very frustrated and they weren't giving him every break in the book. And he's channeling his stand-up into where to do it, an update or whatever. And when he left, he was very down. And I remember – because we were buds back then and he had to sort of pick himself up and go do two years of stand-up on the road and just get – the the confidence back, I'm sure he's he's always great, but you know, in your own head you're like, I just got let go of a show, you know, from a show. So he came back with a monster special, which was surprising to some, but the ones that knew him were like, That's the Chris Rock that we know, that's great. And then from then on, always a highly, highly respected uh stand up, very funny guy. But after the show was tough. I mean, I got just shoot me, which was another sort of lark. Is that a word? Yeah, I think so. Um, is that a bird? Um, <laughs> so I go, uh, I go from there to do you want your own show? Because you get like one free shot right. at your own show. Yeah. But if you miss, you don't – you know Arsenio, he did his own show. And then you don't get another huge network show right away. Sometimes you do. But I said, oh, yeah. I go, I don't know. Is there a great idea? And then they had Just Shoot Me. And it was a pilot. And they were going to network up fronts, which you know what they are. Yeah. yeah. You know? So that's a pilot that's made it through all the shit and it's going to get on the show. So they're flying to New York with Laura San Giacomo to announce Just Shoot Me with the four cast members. And Brad Gray says, and Mark Gervitz, my managers, are like, hey, they produced it. And they go, will you watch this tape? Um, they're going to pull it from the upfronts. They're not going to do it. And I'm like, oh, what what happened? They go, it's just not 100% there. They go, watch the tape and see if you'd want to join. I was like, oh, shit. So I look at it. It's Steve Levitan, who's the writer. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's great actors, George Siegel, Winnie Malik. Winnie Malik, who's amazing, phenomenal. Incredible, yeah. Cannot do a wrong move. And Enrico and Laura, I'm like, this looks like a great cast. It's a funny idea. What would I be, like an assistant or something? So they go, yeah, we do this, this. So I met with Levitan. We talked a few times. And I go, uh, yeah, let's do it. And so it was a little surprising to take the fifth lead on a show that mm-hmm. already had a ding against it because they got yanked from up fronts. But I go, 
I'm coming from the hardest place in the world. These people are all great actors, but I'm sort of like a comedian actor, which I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just I could stand out a little bit because they're all not exactly my age and doing the same thing. Like on SNL, right. you know, Sandler, all those guys are like, we're all the same. And I go, these guys are just seasoned, great comedic actors, and I can be a little goofier and stupider. And, and I go, I think I could, I think this will work. And, uh, and plus, I don't have to carry the show, and I fucking can memorize my lines. Because it's hard to memorize a whole show. <laughs> uh, so they, re- they rewrite it, and Steve only gives me one line in the pilot. The truth was he wanted to reshoot the pilot, and they weren't letting him. And oh, wow. then they said, if you add Spade, you can reshoot it. And I think – I have to say, and I, I love Steve because we're still buddies, but at the beginning he was resistant, but he took me to reshoot it. And I think that was the reason. I think he liked me, but I don't think he thought the show needed me. Right. And because it's his show. So he's the one guy, I'm sure, going, I think it's fine. But NBC's saying add it and Brad's saying add it. So we add me. And then I say, I don't want to do it if I. And he goes, we'll work you in more the third or fourth show. And I said, my fans will bail. Like if they see, oh, he's really not on this show, like they give you, they'll tune in, you know, once or twice. So. It was tough there for a second. Like, I didn't know what to do. And then we added, a, a, like, a little chunk where I meet some models and I'm trying to evaluate them and it's just all the stupid shit. But at least gave me a little foothold to say, I'm in the show, I'm part of these five and we're all going to do something in it. And then it worked right away. Like, it got on good time slot. And it was, I think, over the years, it turned into a show that was respected. I loved it. and um, But it wasn't like a number... It was number one once. It was one summer. It was number one one week in reruns. That count. That counts. Yes, sure. Fuck, it counted to me. I didn't. You know, <laughs> I don't give a shit because. But when you think about it, it's you're up against Seinfeld, Friends, Frasier, Will and Grace. Like, there's so many good shows. ER. How the fuck are you going to be number one? Those are all why, NBC shows. What a yeah. different time God it is now. Damn. What a different time is, it is now. We were a good show, but I don't think we were like. In the conversation is the best show because in another era, we might have been. But when those are the best shows, like they don't even get to us. It, yeah. it was such a smart – it was – I mean it's such a smart move to not run out and try to build a show just around you that because just like exactly like you said. It's the only smart thing I did. That, you can that, sort of blend in and if the show doesn't all. work, no one's going to go, oh, that was Spade's fault. They yeah, go, then oh. You, then you get your own show. You go, well, we can try. We liked him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it was such a – because then over time, you really kind of – you really were a part of the show. Right. And then they make it even and then, you know, you're a valuable fifth of the show and then everyone gets their stuff. And then after that – jumped on uh, Eight Simple Rules. Just more to work. That was the John Ritter one. Right. They came to me and said, do you want to do it? And I said, I don't... would never want to replace John Ritter, one of my own heroes growing up. Like, that's sort of why I want to do sitcoms, John Ritter and Three's Company and all that. So they said, well, we need someone. I go, I would never play his part, maybe an uncle or something. So we talked about that. And then James Garner they were talking to, I go, he's so much more respected than me. (laughs) I go, let him go in first and take the hits. The, do you think you're going to replace John Ritter? Do you think it's right? You know, right. But you can't talk back to jo- James Garner because he's too good. <laughs> right. You know? So he did that and he got all the articles and he handles it gracefully. And then two weeks later, I sneak. <laughs> and then they can't do the art- same article again. You know, They're like, this motherfucker, I see what he's doing. But they came to me. I didn't call them. And they said they got calls from people going, 
hey, can my guy come in and uh, be John Ritter next week? Ugh. And uh, they they asked me, and I said, eh, it's, I don't know if it's not if it's tasteless or whatever. But the way we did it, I was just an uncle, so they just wanted to keep the show going. Did that for two years, and we almost got picked up. If we got picked up that last year, I would have cashed it because that was going to be a full syndicated show. Oh yeah, and yeah. it still is. But we had eighty eight, or we had eighty five, yeah. or something. So. You just was barely shy. Yeah, <laughs> one more it would have been. Ah, I'm a Yankee dude. <laughs> I would have been John Benet out there with the baton. Hey, uh, fucking pageant winner. <laughs> I always found it interesting with Hollywood Minute that I, I mean this was obviously in a time before social media, but I had heard that. Because, you know, when you first start out doing comedy, you're just used to people not really giving a shit about what you – like, you don't really yes. affect anything. And then so then you start making fun of people and it's really connecting. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden you become famous and now you're kind of around these Different, people that yeah. you're making fun of. And now do you, do you all of a sudden feel more accountable? I think of that sometimes with Amy Schumer now because, you know, there's always someone getting famous like Tina or Amy where they're great comedians and then they're hanging with the people and you're like – do you still shit on everyone? Like I was talking about the Kardashians, which is the favorite thing to talk about, on Conan or Jimmy Fallon the other night. And I'm like, of course, just fucking shitting on them to be funny because it's so teed up. But you're at the same place. You always see these people. Forget the Kardashians. Like you see legit celebrity stars and you don't know what to do. But Chris Rock does it. I mean, he's going to go out in the Oscars. And rip on everyone. Joan Rivers always did it. Yeah. Ricky Gervais did it. I mean, it. there's the Kathy Griffin way, and then there's like Chris Rock, who Chris Rock gets away with it because maybe he's so good or something. Like they, you don't see Jennifer Lopez like going, fuck you to Chris Rock. You know, right. he's, he's sort of in this higher echelon of comics and respect where they like him and no one's going, how dare you say that shit? They have to sort of eat it. There's other comics where they'd say, fuck you to you. Right. So I'm somewhere in the middle where some people know that that's what I do, but I don't do it exactly anymore. Like when I offended you earlier and said, did you do stand-up, which, which, which <laughs> was rude care. to me because people forget that even I do. Like It's a fair question if you don't know. Shows. It doesn't matter if you don't know. It doesn't right. bother me at all. I never John expect. John Stewart does stand-up, and I forget. And I did gigs with him, but I go, oh, we did a gig because I was on a show last time. He goes, remember that gig we did in D.C.? I was like, oh, yeah. I'm like – Fucking John Stewart, that's right, you do stand-up. But people, when I go on the road, they don't really, I mean, I'm on Just Shoot Me, then Rules of Engagement, and then, you know, movie grown-ups, they don't really equate that to stand-up. So people come to see me, and that's why I can't even be that dirty, because it's a TV crowd, you know? Mm. People know me from PG-13 stuff. Right. I can't do my pussy joke. (laughs) (laughs) I got some good ones. I've tried it. Everyone goes, what the fuck is this guy talking about? They really like reel back. And I go, hey, come on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm not Backing like, away. I'm like, dice. I'm jackhammering this chick. Well, you, <laughs> you, you do Vegas a handful of times a year. I do Vegas. I still do the Mirage. Uh, I do it with Ray Romano lately. Um, oh, he's great. It's great. The Mirage is great. It's fun. Ray is another one that – I mean, I don't know if a lot of people forget he's a stand-up. He's a really good stand-up. He's an exceptional stand-up and a great, yeah. Very great... casual. He's out there. He's killing. I'm like, God damn, he's got some good jokes. <laughs> yeah, and they're just... And also, it's... Because I think he was... Was he on the Sam Young Comedian special as you? There was, no, was he on that? There was one... There was a Young Comedian special. I think Carvey hosted it. Oh, And wow. it was... Ray, the, the, the lineup was Ray Romano, Andy Kindler, Janine... 
and Judd Apatow. Wow. And I think maybe Bill Bellamy. Oh, Apatow was on one of those. Yeah, Apatow was on one they of those. They forget two. he's a stand-up for sure. Now yeah, he's doing. But he's been doing. Time. He started doing yeah. it again. Yeah, he started yeah. doing it again. But uh, yeah, but his uh, and even at that time he was like thirty-four when he did the Young Comedian Specials before you know. It's <laughs> right after Belzer. <laughs> <laughs> what about the Kennison? What about the great ones? Yeah. Like, that was the ninth was annual Young Comedian Special. What a monster. Hosted by Dangerfield. Which is huge already. Kennison, Saget, um, Rita Rudner. Was it Stephen Wright now? Stephen Wright was... Oh. No, he wasn't that show. No, he was... Louis Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. And then a couple other... Con- uh, Bob Nelson. You remember Bob Nelson? Yeah. yeah. He was sort of predicted as the big one. Well, he... You could tell... That he was a guy that fucking slaughtered wherever he went. Because oh. he did those, bra- he did those big characters. Up the balloons up and the thing. You know, number 72. Oh, shit, 27. Like, he did yeah. the... And he would do this thing where he would blow bubbles and pretend to be a goldfish and, like, eat the bubbles. And it was just, like, the silliest. He was definitely... I think they looked at Bob Nelson as, like, you're the next Robin Williams. Right. We got all these other guys, but you will be the one blowing and up. And Kinnison. And and, every, and everyone did well after that. Everyone went on to become – almost everyone. Almost shocking that with the heat of Kinnison. I mean, that's all yeah. I remember. But all those people are famous. Rita Rudner's a great joke writer. Yeah. Uh, I worked with her in Vegas. But She still has a show in to Vegas. To have everybody do great. Yeah. Almost impossible. But Kinnison was definitely – I think maybe if Kinnison hadn't been on that special, maybe Bob Nelson would have been the guy that popped yeah, up. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Kinnison you're was right. just so—he was such a torrential force. God damn! And out of nowhere, where people are like, "Who's this guy?" And the funny thing, when the heat's not even on him, it's all the folks on who's this Bob Nelson guy. And then you go, "Wait a second, <laughs> this guy's great." Yeah. I got that open for Kinnison once in um in uh it's not in the book um this story because <laughs> it's good um. No, no, there's good stories in there. I'm saying, I don't know if people believe me when I'm saying. Uh, uh, I went, I was at Finney Bones. They all have funny names. All comedy clubs, mm-hmm. gut busters. It should be like, which one of these is not a comedy club? Yuck name? Yucks is Canada. Yuck Yucks, Yuck. gut busters, side splitters, mm-hmm. all real. I was at, uh, it was called Finney Bones because Michael Finney was a comedian who you might have worked with. Comedy magician. Anyway, so I wanted, Kenison was there, so I asked if I could. MC, which wasn't even opening. Right. You MC'd and brought up an opener and you had to stay there all night. But after the show, I gave Kennison and Robert Townsend. Oh, yeah, of uh, course. Both, could they be both in the same show? Maybe Townsend was middling. So before he blew up, so I, t- I drive him my 72 Volvo to Alpha Beta to get Kennison a case of Heineken. And then we drove to the condo, comedy condo. And then the cum covered comedy con. Yes. And he had a big Ziploc full of Blola. And uh, it was a solid gack attack. And uh, he whipped it out. And Robert Townsend said, Can you take me home? He didn't like it. So I drove him home. I'm like, Oh, sure, pussy. So, and then of course, I came right back because I wanted to dive into it. And uh, and he goes, Wait, you, you want some of this? And I go, no, and he goes, okay, you can stay all night. I'm like, why'd I say no? But I think he thought I was going to bogart. I go, I don't think we can go through this kilo tonight. I think I'm fine with my tiny nose. <laughs> I'm not like, shoo, frosty the snowman. <laughs> it's like a, you're like a goldfish. It's like a sprinkle. Yeah, like sprinkle the lamia. I'll stay up and talk. <laughs> so, I'm, yeah, I was like a little hamster on the hook. So I uh, didn't do any, which sucked. I actually thought about pinching it. 
<laughs> just yeah, there was see. so much. I was like, what if I just took like a gram? What was he? What was he like? I think he was celebrating the Wednesday second show. Oh, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big deal. He's like, oh, what a great night. I'm like, yeah, we should celebrate. I mean, uh, so that he was just having a great time. And I didn't really have any relationship with him. I'm just sort of trying to brag that I met him. But I met him and it was so exciting as a comic. And being, you know, any town you're in other than L.A., you fucking freak if you saw someone you liked. And being a comedy guy... Stephen Wright came in. I couldn't believe it. I saw him. He was great. And you can't believe you like right there. I was at the comedy store last night and, you know, people are going on. Everyone's really good. And I thought these people, it's all headliners in a row. It is a great deal yeah. when you just, if you like comedy and you're suddenly like, that guy Sebastian, you know that? Is? Yeah. Kills. So good. And I was like, shit, it was, uh, God, I forgot his name. Me, that guy went on. I went on. Sebastian went on. Isla uh, Schlesinger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eliza. Eliza, Eliza Schlesinger. Schlesinger. Yeah. Great. So I go, Look at this. Even me, I was watching going, this is fun to watch great comedy. Just boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah. the comedy stores had a real resurgence. It's good. I, was, I only I thought of that because I think of Kinison, Like, I think of seeing people in person, and I know he was always there, and uh, Steve Wright. But when I got to L.A. and I tried to get in there, I'm like, all these guys are in the same fucking place? Couldn't believe it. Improv at Leno. Seinfeld was on that little chalkboard. In one night, God I was shocked. It. I was like, well, there were, there's only a couple of you know. You go to New York. There's like 30 comedy oh, yeah. clubs. No in game New- in town. It's like improv comedy store. Yeah. No Laugh Factory, right? Back then, mm, not back then. I don't think. I think the Laugh Factory. Well, the Laugh Factory started in the 80s, didn't it? I don't know when the Laugh Factory started, but it's it's been around as I long as I can remember. I've been, I've been in LA since '88, and I feel like uh, I feel oh, that's like right around. I came in. There was a Westwood comedy store I didn't know yes. about. Yes. There was a Westwood comedy store and a Santa Monica improv. I, and there was Igby's. Do you remember Igby's on the west I side? I do love Igby's. Didn't Igby's they? is now a strip club. Is that Plan B? It's or Plan whatever? B, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are they you open save. from 10 to 6? <laughs> the the Monday brunch Friday. there is unreal. <laughs> uh, the brunch is just cereal. <laughs> it's worth the drive. Yeah. Uh, but Dana Carvey auditioned the, the for bro- SNL there, and uh, I never got to the Westwood comedy. I was too young. I mean, like, I had no connection. I didn't even know where it was. It was only open for, like, six months. Oh, is that true? Is that what it was? Yeah, they opened it in the basement of... I was in college at the time, and they opened the Westwood Comedy Store downstairs. There was a bar upstairs. Yeah. Uh, it, now, I think it's... I think the place is called Maloney's now. At least it was the last time I saw it. But Probably. there was, there was, a, right. there was a downstairs... And so they opened the comedy store. But I remember – so Westwood is built around UCLA. Yeah. And so Westwood thrives because of UCLA. So the, I, I seem to remember they opened the comedy store like in May when everyone's getting out of school. Yeah. And so for the summer, Westwood was dead. Yeah. So no one was going to the basement of this bar that oh. no one went and even knew about. And so I think it, I think it lasted for a handful of months there. You know, Covert, uh, Alan Covert, Sandler's uh, producer, he um, – he was the uh, manager of the improv down there, the Santa Monica improv. Yeah, that was a great one. I remember. I, I did. I went on there. They did a lot. They recorded a lot of those evening at the improvs. Were at the yeah, Santa Monica yeah, yeah. improv. I saw one the other day where Bugs Bunny jeans on. <laughs> I had pants. That was a casual day. A Bugs Bunny. <laughs> if that's not like semi gay enough, it was my friends. I wore his pants. There were so many red flags. Did you go in the bathroom and trade, trade pants? Well, sort of. I mean, I go, those are cool. Why I thought they were cool, I don't know. They were not cool. 
And then he goes, you can wear them. And I was like, ooh, I'll wear them for my big debut on Evening of the Improv. <laughs> and it was jeans with an iron-on Bugs Bunny right here on the thigh. And no one stopped me. This is because I don't have a dad. <laughs> I'm telling you. I don't have like all the guy stuff I should have because my dad wasn't there to smoke a cigarette when I was a kid and go, get that fucking shit off. Because I didn't, you know, it's all mom. And my dad left when I was four. So it's just, that's the, where I, I had, she gave me a present. This is stupid, but of, a, of all of our class pictures for us as kids. Yeah. And my brother got his full class picture on a pillow. <laughs> which this is for because her my mom's idea like, and she thinks it's a great idea and he's like great you know because he can throw it in the closet and then my brother got a coffee mug with his class picture I got a t-shirt with mine ironed on here and it said Dave on it <laughs> in case you forgot this guy was this guy and so my brothers were sort of horrified you know but I was like this might be fun because like, I didn't know I didn't have my dad there to go what are you giving him that shit for he's never wearing it but I, she goes, why are you wearing it to school? I go, that might be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did. And I and right when I left the house, just male chromosome, whatever's left in my head goes, maybe throw a shirt over it. Like, maybe throw a flannel in case it's not the coolest fucking thing in the world. Right. So I put this, like, flannel button down, but it's under it. So I go to kickball, and I'm leaning there before school starts, and I'm, like, checking out the ladies, catching up on the latest gossip headlines. And this is, like, fifth grade. <laughs> and then I... I go, oh, it might be a good time to unveil my super cool shirt I'm proud of. And then I go, pew. I open one button. No problem. Pew, pew. I, I start to pull it down. You can just see a little bit of my feathered hair and like one of my tooth that's super sideways. And someone goes, queer. And I go, what? And they go, oh, my God. Do you have a picture of yourself on your shirt? I go, no, no, no. And then it started all hitting me. Bad idea. Abort the mission. of, a, And I was like, hey. I ran back to my homeroom and dove under my desk and the whole school came. Oh. And it was like with torches going, show us the shirt. I'm like, it's not. It's not even. They can't, they can't even iron a picture on it. They can't, it's so crazy. We say that. And I'm like, that's all they can do to T-shirts. So the whole school turned on me. It took a year to pull out of that one. Oh, my God. I My own picture. I didn't know. Me. I, I, I'm hearing that no and getting dad. chills because I have so many of the same stories. And that was only I was only lucky enough that we would move every so often so there would be a reset you, button. And you'd screw it up again. And I would screw it up oh. again. Was yeah, it, it was, no dad or was what was it? it? It wasn't no. I mean, my dad was in the picture, but my parents were divorced. And you know, I, I was also primarily raised by my mom yeah. and very nerdy kid and I just was into stuff that the other kids weren't into yeah. and I just never I did not relate well to other <laughs> kids did you, do you talk did you did you ever have a relationship with your dad yeah 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 I mean we saw him about once a year and give me a Nerf football for Christmas thought he's my hero again oh it's two colors oh my god you spoil me you prick because he would he would never give his child support nothing no oh alimony god. and then he just pop by he always told me he had a silver Porsche he goes I'm buying a silver Porsche so I tell everyone at school my dad has a silver Porsche Tragic. Everyone's oh, gonna start crying. Man. And then he never had it. And then uh, he had a dune buggy once. I'm like, I thought it was cool. But my mom's like, this is why I get rid of this guy. He's got a. Do you get it? He drives a dune buggy. He's 48. Do you understand? And then when, when he would pick us up, we'd be like, yay. We'd be like, mom, you're, you're so fucking boring. Dad's the best. He took us out in the dune buggy. She's like, yeah, he's a real prince. <laughs> but he's also boning every chick in town. You know, he, he left us just high and dry. He just walked out one day. Oh, man. And then when I 
started getting known. My brother started Kate Spade. He started going around to bars. Like He'd come to comedy clubs with me, like really surfacing, because I was sort of a local guy. Like, hey, get a few drinks out of it. And then with the girls, he'd talk about Kate Spade. You know, hey, you need a purse. I'll take care of you. And so he had every angle covered. And then he, I wanted my dad around, so I moved in with him in a little one-bedroom dump. And then, uh, and then he was so weird, you know. We're like buddies because he wasn't around. So, and he wasn't even a great dad. He'd be like, hey, can I borrow some cash? I'm like, Are you, don't you owe me 100 grand in child support? Got to buy a hey, new buggy. It's tricky. <laughs> Got to get some <laughs> pinstripes on the buggy. Gas ain't free. Go ahead, gas ain't free. Get the sheepskin. If I had my wallet with me, you would see that it is a Jack Spade wallet. Oh, you have Jack Spade. I That's my Jack brother, Spade. yeah. I know. Did we talk about this? No, we've oh, never okay. talked about this, but I'm a big fan. Andy, uh, Andy and Katie did Kate Spade, and then they, um, and he was starting his men's line, and he goes, I don't want to call it Andy Spade because Katie gets so much shit for being Kate Spade. So he called it Jack cause that's what he was going to name his kid if it was a boy and it was a girl. So he goes, I'll call the company Jack Spade. And then when they bought up Kate Spade, they sold it, but he wanted to keep Jack Spade because that was fun. It was more manageable because it wasn't so huge, you know. But he didn't, and now uh, we started Sleepy Jones. That's uh, a store for pajamas and nighttime stuff. Andy and I are doing that, and he's doing. Uh, I think he and Katie are starting another company finally. That's awesome. Yeah, after Kate Spade blew up, I mean, they just got lucky. I think they. It was too hard for two people from Arizona. We we worked in a clothing store. Uh, Andy ran the men's side, and Katie ran the women's. That's how they met, and they got along great. And they're both very smart in that world. I'm not, obviously. And uh, he, he says, I dress like I'm from Hollywood, which is like the quietest burn. It doesn't... No, anything with the word Hollywood attached to it is never yes. positive. So my mom goes, oh, don't get all Hollywood on me. I go, what the fuck? I know it's a burn. I can't quite nail what it means. But I am Hollywood, so it doesn't matter. But Andy, so anyway, so they did that, and uh, and then... It just got – they started that and it got too big. You know, just two people and he's dealing with like union bosses going, hey, Andy, we're going to break your fucking legs. He's like, can we sell this fucking thing and move on? Just making purses and Yeah, we're just making purses, guys. Really <laughs> it just it was like dream come true and then too good and then suddenly you have 200 employees and 15 stores. You're like, take it over. Somebody takes it over. You know, whenever I would see you at the at a party in the old days when I still used to go out and drink yeah, and go to parties and stuff. Yeah, you were fun. <laughs> You hit a wall. That's what I kept saying. Yeah, be 60 and still have fun like me. Hey, hey come on. Getting a dune buggy. Jager <laughs> bombers. They're like, sir, please leave. It's embarrassing. No, it's not. <laughs> Do you have your I ID? I my face on a shirt. Yeah, look at me. I wore it out. Do you have your ID? We think you're too old to be here. Oh, I've never been carded for that. You always seem so comfortable in, in public situations. You always seem like you would always just be kind of standing there hanging out, and everyone would always kind of swarm around you, and there'd just be like a ton of... Gorgeous people sure. swarming around That's you. That's nice. Uh, I'd, uh, uh, yeah, because I yammer too much. But uh, It just no. seemed like, yeah, he doesn't really give a shit. He can take this or leave this. It doesn't really seem like <laughs> yeah, he yeah. gives a shit. And when you, do, when you seem like you don't give a shit, but you have to really not give a shit. You can't pretend to not give a shit because people can sniff that out. Yeah. It really seemed like you just didn't. You're like, I yeah. sort of give a shit, um, obviously. But uh, I do have... Sometimes my act gets too casual. Just my act. I mean, my real life, I'm obviously barely like a fucking blip of my... Maybe that's Arizona. My BP is like one over six. It's like my <laughs> friends are like, are you even alive? Because I have such low energy, but I, I always say I'm pacing it out. And they go, 
for what? What's the big finale? Like, <laughs> you're boring at night, too. Are you waiting for something? But in my act, I'm like, uh, I, I, so Todd Phillips, the, uh, I think the uh, director, director saw yeah. it the other day, and he goes, you're somewhere, it was something like, you're somewhere between, I can't be bothered, and uh, it was some bullshit about my, describe my act perfectly. I was like, yeah, uh, we did a big show. You know, we did a show the other night with Norm MacDonald, Schwartzen, Schneider and Sandler. We did oh my a, god! Uh, we did. Uh, I did a night at the comedy store to sneak Adam on because he wants to practice. Uh-huh. So I brought him into the Comedy Magic Club, which is a great place, Hermosa Beach. And he uh, he goes, "I'll just do a couple minutes before you." We just did this movie called The Do Over in uh, the summer, and he kept going, "I want to do stand up again. I want to do stand up again." So I go, "Just come when I'm doing a gig and just sneak on before me, and you can split my time or do whatever." Again, I don't want to go that long. So. <laughs> uh, he goes, "No, I'll just do five. I'll do ten. So he comes on. He does about 25 at Comedy Magic, does great. He has a guitar. He has a guy playing a piano. Writes all these new songs, does some stand-up. And then we do Comedy Store. Those guys go on. That was really fun because it was like sort of SNL, you know, sort of like whatever. And then uh, he killed again. He did about 30. So then we booked a theater in San Diego two weeks ago. And we it was great. That's when we did the Hanukkah song he just released. Mm. Oh, that was nice. at that theater. So we all did about... You know, 25, and then I think he did an hour at the end. It is pretty oh, – wow. <clears throat> it's fun. So we might go on the road. We might go do, do it on Great. the road. That's fantastic. That would be really fun, yeah. I mean, when you get really – when people know who you are, I feel like the expectation if you just turn up is like, oh, well, I, this guy's famous. He better be extra funny. Yeah. I mean, that was fun. I mean, the San Diego one, the ones with me weren't announced like it was Adam. But there I have – the fans for me are really nice. And I already said Swartzen's going to be on the show and Schneider, so they knew what they are getting. It's sort of the same pool of people that would like all of us, you know, or not like all of us. So they don't come. So they would like Adam because it's always the same. It's the same demo or whatever. And then the San Diego one was 3,000-seater. So it was really fun because it was more like concerty. Like mm. you, know, you see those little like kings of comedy, those weird ones where like everyone's going crazy. It was more like that. Like they go crazy. And it's so much different than a club. Because you have to even play it a little differently because they're either really noisy or they're like laughing long and it goes to the back of the room and you got to wait a second because you don't want to step on your own stuff. And Sandler was killing so hard because he had new songs, but then he uh, did the Hanukkah song at the end, which I'm like, buddy, if you're ever worried about closing, pick any song you've done in the past, even like Medium Pace or any of those old ones of his old albums, Mm -hmm. and you can always get off it. There was no problem. He, he, he was nervous. We, like, wrote a lot of stuff. The, something that's come up a lot on the podcast is we, I always talk about, <clears throat> well, I'll bring up, like, movies. Like, oh, there's some movies that you shouldn't watch again from when you were younger because they don't always hold up. That's true. And, but when people go, when people go, yeah, but, you know, there's some movies that really hold up. Like, Tommy Boy still totally holds up. Like, oh, it's been great. mentioned a couple of times that's on the podcast nice, yeah. where people say it's still. I do have to say that I got really lucky to be in that one because – I don't think I ever would have been cast in it if, you know, I wasn't big enough to get a lead in a movie, but Lauren saying, write a movie for David and Chris, and and because I like how they are around the office. That's where Lauren was really smart. I mean, he had a deal with Paramount, and he did Wayne's World, and then he goes, do one with these guys, and it turned into, you know, like a movie about brake pads. I mean, we couldn't even pitch that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Two guys who are in Ohio selling brake pads. One guy you've sort of heard of, Farley. The other guy you probably have not heard of. And uh, yeah, we'll take $30 million. So I, we backed into it. You know, We backed into a green light. It was already a green light movie. They just said, yeah, do it next summer. So 
they worked on it, wrote it, and then we wrote on the fly. We were shooting it, just no pressure, making up jokes. And uh, I'm glad, I'm really, really glad to be a part of something like that. Like when I was a kid, there was Caddyshack, and there's movies I really liked. So when kids, or even adults, say, that falls into like one they really like, that's great. Did you guys click right away when you first met? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I talked about in there the first time I met him, because I, I didn't know him. I just saw his photo in SNL, like he was getting hired, or they were looking to see him. And then I heard they hired him, and he had the most hype about him. I mean, Chris Rock came on, too, and he had a different hype. He's Eddie Murphy's buddy, and he's great. He's the new Eddie Murphy. And then Chris was more, he's just hilarious, big guy, does all these great characters and stuff, a lot of energy. But I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't, it didn't sound that exciting to me. <laughs> 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 to be honest, like, all right, whatever. And then I uh, met him the first day in the hotel, first day of work. And he's like, how are you? He's slapping his head around. <laughs> Chris Farley, Gallagher, Tent Awning. <laughs> oh, he's just to say he's from somewhere else. You know? uh, we're in a convention here. And, uh, I got 20 bucks left on my expense account. I'd like to buy one of you pretty little ladies a drink. How about them apples? <laughs> That's what he'd say to girls. <laughs> At my Dave's Bane, my friend. He's, a, he's in charge of corporate. We're here. We're with the regional sales crew. They're a crazy bunch. They're going to meet us here in about 45. If you could stick around. You just say bullshit to girls. They just stare at them. They have no idea what's going on. I heard the whiskey over there in New York. That's his rap. But he would just say stupid stuff like that. So immediately nice guy, like, wasn't like a cutthroat guy. Like, who the fuck are you on the show? And so we walked over to the show, and he was nervous. I was nervous. We just, like... That that's when it felt newer because you're like okay he's starting with me like we're both new first day of school yeah and then uh, Adam came a little later that year but uh, Chris Rock was there I talked to him right away just say so heard he was good and we got along and we we're all the new guys so that's when you get your little group and then uh, I knew Dana a little bit I knew Kevin Neal a little bit and Myers I did not know but they were all definitely very cool but didn't have time to baby you you know. Yeah, I mean, if <clears throat> I would imagine it's one of those jobs, like, well, if you get on the show, you obviously are, are need to be good enough to be on the show, and yeah. you have to fucking figure it out. And if you don't figure it out, then you don't belong here. I don't know if I was on the need to be good enough part because <laughs> I think I was over my head. I was like a high school guy that goes to the pros, you know. I was like, but I wasn't LeBron. <laughs> I was a good high school basketball player that went to the pros. I'm like, you have to be LeBron to fit right in. I was right. Like, oh shit, I'm pretty good, but I was in fucking middle act, guys. Like. I yeah, I know, but there was something about your voice on the show that kind of, you know, the 90s, what happened in the, what I feel like happened in the 90s of comedy was sort of like comedy became snarkier and more yeah. self, more pop culture self-aware than it had been Maybe before. Maybe it was there for that because... And that's where I think, but that voice, that voice that you had, I think kind of helped define that era. I will say that Hollywood Minute was, I mean, it's not, it wasn't the hugest sketch in there, but it was sort of the time when it was People Magazine and no one was being mean to celebrities. Mm. And no one would dare. Like, it was all people where they're like, isn't it great? This person's so great. And I was like, he's a fucking idiot. And they were like, wait, what? <laughs> so to come in with that, to be an unknown and be like, who are these assholes, you know? Can this guy stop doing movies? He's annoying. Yeah. Everyone's like, whoa, I was just saying that the other day. Like, you know, <laughs> but you're saying it to your friends, but now this is like some guy on TV It was saying, almost exactly the same time that Ben Stiller started doing basically those... 
reflexive about the entertainment industry sketches on the Ben Stiller right. show that were making it was it was yeah. the same it was it was a, there was a movement happening. Yeah, Rolling Stone did give me starting uh, the '70s called they want their haircut back whatever that thing was. Yeah, because I used to do it in Hollywood Minute. I don't even know if that's true, but I know it was around then. People still do the exes calling. Still called. Everyone's yeah. calling. Mm-hmm. They should be texting by now. <laughs> <laughs> Someone Snapchatted. Hey, the 70s uh, Snapchatted you, and they, it's not the same, I guess. The 70s just DM'd you? The 70s yeah. Snapchatted, but it's going to be gone in 24 hours. It's only 10 seconds long. The 70s just sent long. you a dick pic. <laughs> oh, they did? I want to see it. You can't see the dick. It's all bush. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had a big bush going. <laughs> just FYI. I mean, did you... Uh, with Farley, what was your kind of day-to-day relationship? Were you? Did you guys hang out? Uh, a lot as friends. Uh, yeah, are... yeah, yeah. That was the fun of it. Uh, I mean, sometimes I get scared. I, I, I talk about Farley a lot, and uh, I think lately because the book and he's in it, and it's about my life that I do. But there's times when I, there's a lot of people on the street asking about him, and uh, it, it, it's sort of a double-edged sort of. Sure. You, they're so happy to talk about him, and they're so excited that because I remember uh, Dan Ackward was very gracious to talk about Belushi because me and Farley would ask him about Belushi, and when he come by SNL. And I never even thought for a second, because I'm a selfish fucking asshole, <laughs> that maybe he doesn't want to talk about his friend right. that died of an overdose. And, right. And uh, it, it's hard for him. But he was so nice about it. So I thought, you know, I you know Dave Grohl, I'm sure, gets it about Kurt Cobain. Absolutely. It's just people just are interested. And the guy's not here anymore, so they want to ask. But uh, part of me gets uh, is, is a little weird about it, because you also do other stuff, and you don't want to be this guy like out there dining out on stories about but it is the book, and it is time. And, and it's very personal, too. And it's very personal. So I don't mind it in real life because no one's being malicious. No one says anything bad about him. You know, they all are positive. So right. I like to hear that. And so I will uh, talk to people about it, or they just say on Instagram nice things about him, you know, which is always good to hear. But, uh, yeah, he was a good day-to-day buddy. He was a good Well, I'm sure they're also cracker. kind of digging around for nuggets, too. Yeah, I mean. Because I'm sure some people probably want to – I mean, there's so many different ways – that people I can see coming at it, like, can you want to talk about addiction, or do you want to talk about this, or do you want to yeah. talk about this? And I was like, eh, can yeah. I just not? I mean, did you? Or some people try to dig deep. They just they see on the street. And I'm like, I'm not talking to you about this. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're just we're out in front of a mall. They ask like, really just... d- deep questions. I go, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> go back in the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> yeah, I've saved those answers for TMZ. <laughs> yeah, get back in the Cheesecake Fact. So does it really just sort of depend on them? Does it just sort of depend on where you're at at the time as to whether or not you'll Yeah, I mean, no, most people just go love Farley or Farley's great or they like Tommy Boy or something like that, which is all – I'll take it all day. I'll never be one of those people that gets sick of that shit because, you know, people like – they say bye-bye. They used to say the bye-bye sketch, you know. Meanwhile, that was my whole goal of life in SNL, get something people say. Be one of those sketches that catches on and bye-bye – Saw the Burger King when you leave. It says bye bye, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> so that was something people already said, you know, to yeah. be honest. But to highlight it in a sketch and then people connect you with it is nice. So people say stuff. I don't care. I think it's nice. But you put a lot of it's, so a lot of yeah. that stuff's in the book, and people want to hear about it. But yeah, is yeah. it almost as kind of like a? There's a dirty Chris story in there that they they wanted me to add. And I never told. So there's stuff in there. I mean, I didn't want to do too much about that. But when I talk about all of SNL, every year I was there, I go each year, what happened, how I got on, what sketches I did, who I thought was cool when Sinead O'Connor ripped up the picture of the Pope where I was standing, how I, you know, stuff like that is, some stuff would be less interesting to people, like growing up, crazy stepdad, you know, went nuts, uh, 
all those things. But that's more people like that and less about SNL. Right. And then more people like other stuff. I talk about losing my virginity. I did too much coke in college and once I had to go to the hospital. Stuff like that is just sort of whatever funny stories. And then there's stuff you sort of get. I do a whole chapter about Tommy Boy just because I get asked about it a lot. Well, I also think people forget – you know, I, I think it is kind of a weird thing to, to – I assume it's a very weird thing to deal with death and fame at the same time because people do forget that you're a human being and they forget that Chris was a human being. Yeah. And so they see a very one-dimensional representation. They go, oh, my God, was that crazy? You know, and I yeah. think they just they, – they because of how you are presented to them on a two-dimensional screen, mm-hmm. they forget – this is a person who had yeah. a life and these are people and humans. And, and so I, I, it, I think a lot of people don't ever really think about that yeah. part of it. Uh, did, you, did you have to just go away for months to get away from it was Oh, it was hard, at the be- of course, at the beginning. But uh, it, was, uh, it, it got better with time. And his brothers are friends with, but they, one really looks like Chris, reminds me of him. So it took about two years to start hanging out with them again because, you know, families have mannerisms they share. Right. And I'd be like, oh, my God, it just, it's just like him. So weird. But overall, it just got easier over time. Sure. I could, I could talk about with Adam and those guys. And we did those gigs the other night, and Adam was like, wouldn't fucking Farley have a blast here tonight? And it almost makes you cry because yeah. you forget there's another guy that was there with him every day, knew him very well. And uh, how weird, how much fun he would have with that whole show. We were all backstage. It was a huge crowd. We were all together again. So it's it's um, definitely a, uh, a common subject I hear about. But I, I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. Uh, do you know for sure if you guys are going to do more road, road I don't gigs? know. We're talking about it. Adam says he wants to. And if we sync everybody up, our movie we did isn't out on Netflix till summer. He might do one in between. But. It just sounded like so much fun. Like, why not? Mm. We should have done it with grown-ups, you know? Yeah. We had five comedians in that. We should have all just gone on the road. When are you going to be up next live? Do you just drop in? To yeah, the I'll do the comedy store again. I, uh, I'll do a night there. I think the 17th I'll do a night. Cool. Uh, end of December. And then, and then, yeah, I just do my stand-up and stupid shit all over. Well, the book is called Almost Interesting. Yeah. The Memoir. David Spade. You know, it's funny. The audiobook is doing better than the hard copy. And I asked it's him and they fun said, because you're it. reading it. Yeah. Yes. And I go, isn't that good? But they go, it doesn't count when you count books. It doesn't count towards bestseller list. Oh, that's ridiculous. I go, God, it's like streaming and buying albums versus, uh, you know, listening. That's to really it. stupid. If they're, buying the thing, if they're buying the story. That's what I thought. I go, oh, my God, because I would almost recommend that because I read the whole thing. I was like, gag, gag, ooh, you know, I'm reading. Well, that's the best part because it sounds like you're sitting down. Like, that's why Born Standing Up is the best hearing Steve Martin read That's Someone told me that. Because I didn't hear he's, because especially when he starts getting into, when he talks about stand-up and he talks, he starts talking about a bit, he starts doing the yeah, bit. Yeah, I love it. And then it. you're like, because eh, you yeah. know that he does, will never do that in yes, life. Yes, I know love that he will it. Never of do course, of course. Yeah, I should listen to that one because, but this one, when I did it, I was cracking up sometimes because I was sounding so stupid. Because I'm like, Agu-gu! and I'm making noises and trying to do the voices. Like the guy that attacked me, I tell that story to the guy that beat me up. A uh, guy broke into my house, you know. A long oh time yeah, ago. yeah, 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 so yeah. So I tell that one. I'm writing that. I mean, it sounds like a fucking horror story. I'm telling it. I'm getting scared, and I'm like, I don't even want to talk about this shit. But I do a side jokes and stuff. So audio is not bad either. I don't know what I'm saying. All right, I'll go. <laughs> All right. Wait, come back. He's Thanks going. for having me. David Spade. You guys. I didn't know we started at the beginning, so just... <laughs> we have, you said oh. a lot of really upsetting things. We also... Oh, my Tina Fady jokes I said twice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I hit it twice. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. 
Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. i just like sure. to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the Wayback machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts